0: Welcome to the Coaches Trail podcast where every coach has a story. Thanks for listening. My name is Nate Williams and I'll be your host. On today's podcast I'll be talking with my first offensive line coach. You can find more information about the Coaches Trail podcast on my website www.coachnatewilliams.com forward slash podcast and on Twitter at coach underscore nw. Lastly, Go ahead and subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with another coach you know. Thanks for listening to the Coach's Trail podcast and welcome to episode 16. Today's special guest on the podcast coaches one of the most important positions on the field the offensive line. He has also been a CIF champion while working with one of the most successful coaches in all of high school football history, Myron Miller. Please welcome to the podcast, offensive line coach, Darren Tolliver. Coach, <laughs> thanks for taking the time today.
1: Thanks for having me on today, Nate. Um, so I've been listening to some of your podcasts. It's, uh, it's great to hear the stories of coaches. I'm thankful to be on.
0: Okay, Coach, before we get started with the actual interview, we have the Fast Five. And the purpose of the Fast Five is for the listeners to get to know you in a fun way. So here we go. First question I have for the Fast Five (laughs) is offensive line coach, you know, there's a lot of pride in uh, knowing good food and having good meals. So what would you say is your favorite restaurant?
1: Well, I mean, I'm a foodie at heart. Uh, I mean, I know it's hard to imagine a big guy that loves food, but uh, having just one favorite place is a problem it's um i i've got my favorite breakfast place my favorite mexican place my favorite italian place my favorite german place my favorite italian deli my favorite german deli i mean it's all over the place where they're going from uh san diego to azusa hawaii arizona you know uh probably my favorite type of food would be asian japanese thai uh, chinese vietnamese sushi um and i would never i probably guess if there was one restaurant I'd never say no to going to a Benihana's or, or that Teppan style of cooking because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's plenty of food. You're always full and it's just, you know, you get a little show with it too and, and you get to see some skills and, you know, I have, Oh yeah, always have fun. You can have fun with, you can bring a whole group of people and just uh, have it out. In fact, we went as coaches, Toro, we flew up to Oregon and we stopped at one of these uh, these places that are cooking in front of you. And, you know, it was, we had a blast, you know, it was just a bonding trip. The guy had actually had sake in the, a squirt bottle, and you just hey, I open up, you know, and uh, you know we're just like we're like okay, let's have some fun, you know. <laughs> we we took a cab ride, so it was all good.
0: So uh yeah, the Teppan Grills are pretty good, Benihanas, yeah. But uh, I like how you know you get favorite Mexican restaurant, favorite breakfast spot. I mean, just where are we going? And and you got a spot. So uh second question: as a football coach, it takes a lot of time of takes a lot of time of your life, you know. Um, what, but what would you say is your favorite hobby outside of coaching?
1: Um, you know, I I got a couple of them. Um, I enjoy photography. I used to help shoot weddings. And so I I I don't don't do that anymore, but, um, eating obviously is a hobby. And and, then, that's a good one for me, but it's not just eating. It's eating good quality stuff. It's finding those restaurants. So it's kind of a whole search process for me. Um, Mm -hmm. in fact, when I travel, I have eating rules. Like I can't go to an Outback when I travel because I can eat outback here. Yeah. You know, I, now that changed with kids because it's like sometimes you're like, screw it. We're going to Red Robin because they'll be happy and they'll go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times it's like, oh, man, we got to try this place. Everybody says it's the best in, in the whole state. I mean, you may be, be to a place once in your lifetime. You know, some people will never get to Hawaii. I, I got to Hawaii twice and, and each time I made sure to, to taste the cuisine. You know, if you're going to another country, go find a restaurant that shows you the culture of that country. And mm-hmm. just get to know it. Even if it's not your favorite, it's it's kind of part of the whole experience of traveling. Um, but traveling also, you know, it it, it includes, you know, photography and eating and, and family time. As a history major, I'm I'm into my own family history, so I'm on Ancestry.com every you know, every so often, uh trying to find new great grandparents, uh, golfing, uh collect historical and sports memorabilia and uh beer tasting.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, I'm going golfing for the first time tomorrow and I'm hoping I don't have to walk because of the whole, we're in the quarantine era, coronavirus, you know, COVID-19 deal right now. And, um, they're now starting to lift, lift those restrictions. So, um, golf, we'll have to get on the golf course. Uh, coach, third question I have for you, you know, obviously you're a, a football coach, you're a teacher, but also most probably more importantly is, you know, you're a dad and your husband. So as a father of three young ladies what is the best thing about being a girl dad?
1: Um, you know, probably one thing I've thought about a lot is, uh, you know, when when I have one daughter and then we had twin daughters. And when we had twins, I found out with both daughters, there was that, that moment of disappointment that I wasn't going to have a son to teach football to. But I wouldn't trade them for anything. They're amazing. And, and I know that they will never be pressured to play football by me. And, and you know, maybe that was God's attention was, that, uh, you know, I'm such a football guy that if my son didn't want to play football, I would push him too hard or something like that. But, you know, I'm happy. I'm I'm blessed. And I think one of the biggest things that um, that's great about being a dad of girls is, you know, I'm the big, strong man in their lives. I'm who I, I, I am. What I do will make a decision in, in who they choose to marry and who they choose to date in the future. You know, it's, it's a big responsibility. I go on dates with them. I teach them, you know, hey. I open the door for you. I buy your food. I, I make sure you got everything you need and take care of you because that's what I want them to look for in a man. Um, now, I also want them to be independent and, and be strong women and not have to be reliable upon a man um, because my wife is very strong and independent. And uh, I think relationships is the best. You can get a lot of hugs. And I'm finding that, you know, at 10 years old, my oldest, I still get a lot of hugs. So it's, it's not going away. And, uh, I don't know about boys if they're going to, yeah, they stop hugging. I hear from some moms I know at the school uh, where they go, that's like, you only hug me goodbye at, you know, in the morning, going to school, you know, in front of his friends. Um, they're little human beings, you know, they see you as, as a superhero. And, and obviously as parents, we make mistakes and, and we do things we shouldn't. Um, but I think coming to them and teaching them, them about asking for forgiveness and, um, teaching them those little aspects of life is what you really want to do but yeah i enjoy it immensely and even though but they love football they love coming to the games they've come to some practices when my wife's had to work they sometimes they'll help out the trainers. sometimes they'll they'll carry balls around um but it's 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 a love love relationship you know you, you got to give everything you have for them
0: i have three boys four three and one I don't have a girl and uh, maybe we'll have a maybe we'll have a girl and then we'll see. But you know, like you said, God's plan, maybe it'll do another boy. So uh fourth question we have for you, coach, is we talked about it a little bit already, but what is your favorite thing to do, grill or cook?
1: Well, it's funny, I used to work in a restaurant as a cook and uh it, you know, it wasn't nothing special. I wasn't a chef or anything, but I had the opportunity to just go around and, you know, try things on, you know, on my own. So I I cook a great steak, but I think probably my favorite thing to to grill right now is tri-tip. Get a nice big fat tri-tip. I got a great seasoning I use for it. Uh, Stick it on the grill, uh, fat side up, let the the juice just kind of melt into it. Um, Get it to about 125, take it off, cover it for 10 minutes and slice it up. It's nice and pink, juicy, delicious. The other thing I'm really, I, I kind of pride myself on is my pork ribs. Um, I have what I call a wet rub, and so you, you, that, that one is uh, you pour honey on it and rub that in, and then you put a dry rub on top of it, and it makes it wet, but it kind of holds the honey in place, and then you just grill that, and that, I mean, I've had people tell me, it's like, dude, you don't even need barbecue sauce, and, and it's some guy, one guy who's, I consider another foodie said, these are the best foods I've ever had, so <laughs> for me, it's like, I don't eat those as much, because I gotta watch my, my, my cholesterol and all this stuff now, but one, uh, I do, It's, it's always, it's always a pleasure
0: to. It's grilling season right now. And as we're moving in towards summer, I can only imagine your grill coming out more. So uh, the last question I have for you on the fast five is uh, what is one goal that you have for 2020?
1: One goal I have for 2020 that would probably be surviving with everything going around. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. It's just you're cooped up at home a lot and now things are starting to open up. So it's getting a little easier. I'm the one who actually would go out shopping and do everything for my family. My mom lives with us. And so we help take care of her and she helps with homework with the girls. And so it's a good relationship we have there and they get to be a, be a part of her life. But, uh, you know, like what I noticed was in the first month of doing this is my blood pressure was, I could feel my blood pressure higher. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not exercising as much. I'm not getting out as much. So I kind of looked at my step count on a Tuesday and Thursday when I was coaching PE, uh, I was going 12 to 13, I sorry, 12 to 15,000 steps a day, you know, about five miles. And I looked at that day. I looked at my step count. I was like about 800 steps. This was like six o'clock at night. Now I didn't have my phone on me all day. I mean, I'd set it down while I was doing Mm -hmm. things and listen to music, but I'm like, all right, we're going for a walk. Let's start. We're we're, we're walking after dinner, at least a mile. And, And we do that. We try to do that as a family. Now that it's warmer, we'll get the kids out and we'll swim with them in the pool. And, and so we'll get a little exercise there. So, and then I've had to cut down on a lot of the foods and just to help healthy intake because of my past with heart issues and cancer and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. it's it, you know something you want to stay on top of, and, and you got to do what you can do, but you also have to take care of yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly. With that you know, not being able to you know go to teach or go to school <laughs> or coach. Yeah, we're all, as coaches ourselves, It's it's been challenging just for anybody to get out and, like you said, get those steps in. But um benefit of having that family, having the girls and wife is you can go hang out with them, get some exercise with them. But, yeah, so, Coach, that, that does complete the Fast Five. We appreciate you opening up, letting us get to know you in a different way. So the first question I have for you is uh, how was it being a stay-at-home dad? So you were a stay-at-home dad for for many years Uh, which is really challenging that everyone's figuring out now that you stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, if they haven't done it before, they're now figuring out how challenging it is because their kids are home, right? So how how was that for so many years? So do you have any insights or tips or reflections on that? And then also, you did eventually go back to working. So how was
1: that transition? How has it been? Being a stay-at-home dad was the hardest job I ever had. Um, it was a very rewarding job as well you know the chance to to be there with my kids and help them talk and help them walk and help them do all this stuff the first things in their life was very rewarding and 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 an honor I had you know I wish my wife could have been there too and be a part of all that I, I try to take as many videos as I can I try to send her as many clips of the girls as I can I think the hardest part about it was is I had twins so we had uh, we had the twins and staying at coaching and, and I was a campus supervisor at the time. Uh, to put all three in, in daycare all day would have actually cost more than my job, what I was getting paid, and so we've been losing money. And so we, we made the decision and, and you know kind of trusted God that all right we'll keep our, our oldest daughter in preschool because she had that social stuff and they taught her a lot of stuff and we didn't want It, and it would be really hard with a two year old to take care of two babies and entertain a two year old. And, uh, so, you know, like I said, it was a privilege, but with twins, you know, it means there's twice as much diapers. There's twice as much, you know, spit up there's what, you know, you got to feed them all the time. And, um, you know, you learn, you learn to put them on that, uh, cycle and schedule. And you had, we kind of had our same things. Like we dropped my daughter, we'd walk my daughter to school and then I'd walk them around the neighborhood, feed them breakfast. They'd fall asleep. Uh, and then, and, you know, get them home, get them in bed. And then same thing at lunch, they have their lunch, they fall asleep, put them in bed, wake them up. Um, I think, but going back, you know, it's funny cause when we dropped my, my oldest off at, at, for her first day of, uh, kindergarten, um, she'd been in preschool since, you know, 18 months old or no, sorry, eight months old. And so we, we'd had that, you know, we had to drop her off and both work, um, but we dropped to kindergarten. And my wife was very teary eyed. I, I wasn't as much, you know, it was, it was like a big thing. She, you know, she's getting old, uh, older and, and uh, growing up and, you know, that wasn't a big problem for me, but then dropping off my twins for their first day of preschool, that was crazy for me. Cause like I see other moms and, and they're teary eyed. I'm like, eh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then all of a sudden it's like, I get in my car and it's just like, the emotion is like, I'm not, they're not going to be there all day with me. And, you know, as a big football guy, I'm like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry, you know. <laughs> um, but that's emotional. You, you get a bond with them, and, and I think that's very special. We have a good re- relationship. Um, going back to coaching wasn't really a big deal to me. It's kind of like riding a bike, you know. you get, Just yeah. get back on and start pedaling. You know, you just got to figure out what kind of bike you're on, you know, and that's which coaching staff you're in and how you're going to fit in and adjust to that and what what the kid, kids are like. Uh, so – I don't think it was a huge step to get back into it. It was more of a huge step to get into it as, as a stay at home dad but i have, I have a total respect for my mom and what she did because I know I was a lot uh, a lot more uh, <laughs> restless than my kids were so
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh that is so challenging uh being a stay at home parent. You know, I'm, I'm sure when you went back, you're like, oh, great. I, I can talk to adults now. You know, <laughs> I get to talk to some uh, same, same age peers as me. And
1: Oh, yeah. I had a uh, I, – I, we take our walks. There were, like, strangers I just have conversations with. The subway lady because we do eat outside of subway. The I got to know everybody at the Vaughn Shopping Center because I'd shop with them and they don't want to see my kids. So, yeah, that was my, my adult time. Any adult I could talk to. I had that opportunity too. I was like, that was it. Let's do it. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, I I totally get that. So I know how you feel a little bit, but not quite as much as you did. So, you know, right now, as as we kind of talked about already, we're in COVID-19, everything's kind of locked down. Things are kind of opening up a little bit now, but things are different. So how has that impacted your job search? Like right now you're, You're an offensive line coach, but with the transition at El Toro, how has this COVID-19 really impacted your job search as a teacher and a coach?
1: Um, Right now, it's almost impossible to find a job. Um, And that's just because they're not putting jobs out there. With all the unanswered questions about fall and if we're going to have football and if we're going to have kids in school, budget issues – Mm-hmm. Um right now I know I know just from, from talk around because my wife's a teacher as well. I'm just talking with her, the budget California has is to cut school funding. And yet we wanna we wanna keep kids six feet apart apparently. It's gonna be harder, you're gonna need more teachers and places to teach for that. There's a hiring freeze for a lot of districts. I mean, will we even have a football season? And if we do have a football season, what's the football budget gonna be like if they didn't get their fundraisers at the end of the year last year? At my kids' school, I was in charge of the auction. And I got all these auction donations from companies around the area and we canceled the auction. And I, you know, I, it's like I said, I say, I don't even know if these places are going to be in business to have an auction later on. you know, and you just hope they are. But uh, you know, if we do have a football season, are we going to have fans, you know, what's that, what's it going to look like? It's, it's just, it's, there's so many questions that the districts aren't willing to put someone out there and say, here's a contract because they can't take it away. They can hire someone at the last minute and say, "Okay, we need more teachers. Uh, we need more security. We need more of this." Uh, football coaches will obviously know. Okay, we are having a season. I mean, right now we're missing so much time with kids. Right, this was the time where it's, you're teaching technique, you're teaching all this important stuff, so that they know it, so that when the season comes and you got pads on, you can go right into it. You can go right into the plays and then just you know fixing it, tweaking every little thing you can, especially with the alignment. Uh, you know, about blocks and stunts and all this and pulling. But, I mean, there's so much time being lost right now. But, again, we don't even know if we're going to have a season. We don't know what's going to go on with school. And so I think once more questions get answered, you know, opening everything up and seeing how that goes, then we'll, we'll, we'll have to go from there. Uh, for me, it's like you always got to let God make decisions. And that, that, that's kind of been the way, even though I may not agree with some of the decisions that were made and where I, where I didn't get a job here, you know, where I thought I was going to get this job, but I didn't. In the end, other things came along. I go, oh, well, that's why. Yeah, okay, maybe I should just trust you and, and you know let you make these decisions for me.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that you touched on is like, uh, you know, how are students going to be six feet apart? And we have a, a school of twenty five hundred kids, and you want to cut the budget of, you know, I think the proposed budget cut in California was like seventeen. I want to say $17 billion. Uh, so somehow it's going to come out to, you know, educators are going to face that budget cut. And like you said, that's going to impact, you know, uh, how, what kind of positions are available for both teaching and coaching. So it's definitely um, no one knows until, you know, <laughs> you know, public education, no one wants to really get sued. So they're not going to put their, their, their necks out there to be the first lawsuit, but we'll see. And uh, like you said, it's all in God's hands and, On his timing too. So, you know, Coach, talking about teaching and coaching is, and we talked about a little bit about El Toro and how you coached at Tustin with Myron Miller, and you were actually at Long Beach Poly too uh, prior to El Toro, in between in between El Toro and Tustin. So, how did you get involved coaching? As you have quite the pedigree, and you 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 worked with a lot of good people. So,
1: how did you get involved coaching? Um, it's funny, my senior year, going into my senior year of college, two major things happened in my life. The first being I had a heart condition, an irregular heartbeat, and it would come and go and it would go away um, and I'd be fine. But going into that, that first week of double days, uh, we had a brand new coach, Coach Sheely, Vic Sheely, came in for um, uh, Jim Milhan, who'd been there, you know, 17 years. And Sheely, who, who eventually led him to their first national championship at Azusa Pacific, I am, we're sitting in a meeting and at night watching these NCAA regulated videos on, on, you know, drugs and, 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 you know, sexual harassment, the stuff, you know, that you, they just make you do with the kids. And uh, he said, I don't want to be getting up. Just a, well, all of a sudden, I mean, he says this, but during the meeting, I feel like someone's sticking a needle in my heart. And I'm like, I don't want to get up, but if this doesn't stop soon, I'm going to get up because, you know, I don't know what this is. So I, I, it went away, movie ended, but I had to go cleared by a doctor from the trainer uh, to be able to play. So the doctor said what he said, and, and he said, you just got to take this risk. And, and with my irregular heartbeat and everything going on, he goes, I mean, it, it's not like your bad knee where you can limp the rest of your life or it's going to hurt before it rains. This is your heart. If it stops, you die. If mm-hmm. If it's got a problem, it's going to affect you the rest of your life. He said, so... I mean, it's up to you. You're cleared to play, but I, I think I went home and I prayed about that and I thought about that. And, I mean, it was probably one of the hardest decision, decisions I ever made. Um, I mean, I, I had had, had uh, information from uh, Canadian Football League and at the time World League was big uh, and, and arena ball was starting off and all of them were, like, interested because here's this – you know, I was 6'5", 295, and I, I benched 425 and I ran a 5 flat 40 uh, offensive lineman and so i'm i'm, I'm ne- i would have never been an NFL, nfl type caliber guy but uh you know i would have played pro ball somewhere and that was my dream um but i i hung it up i retired i told my coach the next day i had to give up my scholarship um because of that uh and i think that you know it, with that i i was at this point and, um all right what, what am i going to fill that void with you know because it's going to be hard to not be a practice and, well, like literally two days later, I was—I was, I got my first online coaching job at, at Western Christian High School um, nearby because a friend of mine was the linebacker coach. And uh, so that was it. I started the time. A few weeks later, I found out I had cancer. So that was the next big thing in my life. Um, but, uh, you know, the only time I... I, I enjoyed myself during that time was when I was coaching football you know Mm -hmm. you've had three hours you're focused on football you're not focused on everything else in your life and so it was great to have that when I went through that situation.
0: You know you started off at Western Christian High School and like I said you've worked at El Toro you've had you know a lot of good uh, high caliber coaches that have great experience so did anyone have an impact on you you have any mentors or anything of that sort that, that someone kind of took you under their wing as, as a, as a, you know, as not only a football coach, but just as a human being.
1: Yeah. There's a couple of people I could think of uh, when I was coaching, when I was playing, I started playing a junior college ball at, at De Anza college in Cupertino, California. Uh, Mario Verdusco was our offensive coordinator. So as an all lineman, I worked with him all the time. And I mean, I think his mo- the thing he said to me the most was, God dang it, Tolliver. You know, because I I'd screw up every now and then, um, but I mean, here was a guy. He he would in his office he colored this little pipe, uh, school colors, and he would hang your name from it. It was called the Pipe Dreamers Award. And we're like, what is that? What did I win? He's like, no, you didn't win anything. It, it's actually losing because <laughs> you, you set these goals, but you don't show up for practice. You don't show up for weights. You don't. You're not there. So it's a pipe dream. You're never really going to accomplish it. And, you know, if your name was on that list, it was a bad thing. And I got my name on there once because I, I think I went on vacation with my family. I was ticked. And I, you know, never again was I on there, but I mean, this is a guy who, who continued to work in football. He's now the quarterback coach at, you know, the university of Nebraska with Scott Frost um, Bubba Paris um, played for the 49ers. Uh, and actually he's the reason I started playing football in college. I mean, here he is, this guy, 6'7", 360 pounds, or whatever he was at the time. You know, he he just finished playing football for the 49ers, won, you know, three or four Super Bowls. Um, and he uh, he sees me and goes, man, who do you play for? I'm like, nobody's he's like, what? You know, I'm 6'5", 290, so I'm short, and I'm tiny compared to him. But he's, he, he just throws his head on my hand and goes, God, get this man on the team. And I'm like <laughs> – I'm going to take that, you know, and literally the first day of school. I went out for junior college football, you know, missing double days, uh, the scrimmage, the first game. And three weeks later, I was starting, you know, defensive line for them because of injuries and other things. But like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had what I have today without him just kind of like giving me that a little joking encouragement, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was awesome. Uh, poly coaches are just really, you know, Myron Miller was a great guy. He he taught me a lot about football and he taught me a lot. You know, I try to take something from all the coaches I work with yeah, um, either good or bad, what I will do and what I won't, what I I won't, what I, sorry, what I would do or or what I would do differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like probably at Poly, you know, I worked mostly with Matt Hatchett. He played for the Vikings. He, uh, he was our OC. He hired me. Um, Working with him and then Bob Conley um, came on after I was hired kind of just to help the offense and i mean here's bob conley is a guy who's 21 years as as an offensive line coach at d1 football schools you know he's coached at alabama he's coached at usc ucla oklahoma state washington state you know he's been to the rose bowl you know he's coaching three or four different conferences the power Mm -hmm. five conferences and, and just um knowledge of football is insane Right. I was the guy taking notes probably more than the kids were when he was talking to the O line because he was an O line guy. So he he talked with the O line a lot. He he worked with the O line a lot. And I think for a lot of coaches, that would be a problem. You know, man, they brought this guy, and now he's doing my job too. So for me, I was like, man, I just got, I just got, I'm getting paid now to learn. Yeah. And to me, that was just amazing because you know he had the jobs that I had always wanted the coaching college. And, you know, it was just, it was an amazing time to learn from those guys. And, you know, I I think, uh, I, I think probably, you know, you just, you got to find those people who are just going gonna... to, I don't remember some of my coaches because they didn't have an impact on my life. I don't remember the name of my O-line coaches at Azusa Pacific because he wasn't that great. He didn't teach technique and, um, You know, he liked to screw around. But the ones who actually have an impact in your life, the ones who put into your life, those are the ones that you remember. And and so that's kind of what I try to do to kids, make that impact on their life. And and even if they're not a starter, you know, be there for them. Right.
0: Exactly. So, Coach, um, I appreciate you giving us a little recap of kind of how you got into coaching, uh, how you kind of even got into college ball, too. Uh, You eventually transferred to Azusa Pacific. You were there for – two years uh unfortunately you didn't get a player last year but uh you know like you said god's plan it all works out for a reason but you did talk about a little bit uh uh facing adversity in your life and really you had cancer two weeks after you got your first high school coaching job so can you talk about overcoming cancer and that whole experience
1: yeah um going to AP was a great experience. And I think honestly, the reason I was there was because, you know, God knew I was going to go through this cancer thing. And, and I, having all these people around me who were praying for me, who would come see me, who would, you know, talk to me, uh, in, in a loving way was amazing. You know, it just helped me get through that. Um, I think for me, the cancer is, it's just, um, I found out I had it just by kind of just like a fluke. You know, I, I, am out there practicing my kids. All of a sudden I feel a pain in my lower stomach. So I'm thinking, oh man, this better not be a hernia. You know, and I was, I was in shape. So I thought can't be, but I went and saw the doctor on campus at Azusa and, and he's the kind of guy when he checks for hernias, he checks for testicular cancer. He's like, um, well, you just pulled a muscle in your stomach. So that's the good news. The bad news is just, you got a lump and I want you to go see an oncologist tomorrow. And so that's what I did. I'm like, you know, and that freaks you out. Like, what? What? <laughs> I mean, I'm a guy, you know, it freaks me out just because it's where it is, but also because, you know, the whole cancer experience I had was watching my grandmother just kind of shrink away into nothing from all the chemo and radiation and, and before she passed away when I was a kid. So for me, it was just like, okay, what's, what's going to happen? And that the unknown, all of a sudden you're on this journey into this unknown world where a lot could happen, even death. Um, and I got the surgery, um, and then from then, you know, it's like, they want to do other surgeries and I, am like, no, I don't want, I mean, one of those surgeries was basically, they said, well, we're going to do the surgery. We're going to take out your lymphatic system, take all your lymph nodes out. Um, and you've got a 50% chance you won't be able to have kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm a guy who's always wanted to be a dad. Yeah. I mean, since I was a kid, I'm like, I can't wait to be a father and have kids and have fun with them because I had a great relationship with my parents. Um, But I'm like, but you said everything was fine. Everything looked normal. All my blood tests are back to normal. I was like, yeah, but this is something we do. It's precaution. I go, I was 20, what, three years old at the time. I mean, my whole life was in front of me. And I'm thinking, you know, I I went and got a second opinion from a a world-renowned doctor at Stanford that a friend got us in to see. And he said, this is what I would do. Um, it's a it's a waiting period you, you just check yourself every month for blood tests and chest x-rays um, and then you do a CAT scan every three months um, from then after about a couple of years you can slow that down spread that out until five years once you go five years you're they call it cured um, I think for me it's like something I call healed as a believer in God you know I had to trust him through this whole process like I said earlier in the interview going to practice was those three hours of the day where everything was unknown and, uh, before my surgery. And, um, I didn't think about cancer, but when I got home, the first thing is just like that weight is back on my shoulders and it's, it's, it's crazy, um, how God works. But I think for me having football as a part of my life saved my sanity, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, So after I I didn't have the other surgery, I did the five years. Um, I had family who helped me pay for things that weren't covered by insurance. Uh, And and you just really find out how much you're loved when this happens. And, you know, uh, here I am, you know, 24 years later in not one cancer reoccurrence. And and I I consider myself extremely blessed. You know, I mean, I've had friends. I had one offensive lineman I played with recently died of, of, of leukemia. Yeah. uh you know great guy he had two two young kids and, and he passed away and it was just i mean this is a guy i hung out with at college it's just it's like i'm lucky and and i can't say why me why me why am i the lucky one why are these guys i have to I have to live my life to my fullest because i've given this this chance and, and for me it's like i'm gonna make that impact on other kids
0: right exactly and uh you know like you said you know just facing that unknown of oh you need to see the oncologist tomorrow. And that, that's just really scary. But like you said, you have that support system in place and you have a bunch of people praying for you and things work out. And it's all God's plan. And that's scary as heck. But, um, you know, I'm sure you you said you're healed now. And it's been a blessing to kind of where you're at now in life. And um, but we're just thankful that you got over, you overcame that. And, that uh, you know, you're here. So, Coach, and my next question for you is actually – more so gonna be focusing now on working with athletes more so. But what is the like what is one of the first things that you do to build trust or that relationship with athletes, with student athletes? So, you know, say it's the first time you're working out with a kid, you know, what's one of those what's one of the first things that you
1: like to do to try to build that trust and that relationship up with that kid? Try to do the same thing in every school because you I mean you're gonna have different socioeconomical backgrounds different um racial backgrounds different beliefs and and how they're raised and for me it's like i'm not going to assume anything with these kids you don't know where they've come from you don't know what their situation is one kid you know is going to respond you you know to intensity and then raising your voice or another kid's gonna just kind of hide back in his shell and and you're not going to teach him anything for the rest of the day uh you know it's kind of that intensity versus screaming you know you can be intense but if you're screaming at a kid and that's what he's used to every day at home, you're not his friend. You know, you're, you're, you're just another adult in his life. Who's going to make his life miserable. You know, I try to take the time to figure out who the kids are um, not just as players, but as individuals, because I mean, like as a teacher, you know, you want to find out what your class is, what their best way of learning is and and how they react to certain things as a class. And then you can be a better teacher. And same thing goes on football. I try to take that to the field as you know, first off, you got to let them know who you are. This is who I am. These are my expectations. This is my background. Here are the rules. Okay. Follow the rules. We'll be fine. Okay. I don't have a problem if you make a mistake. It's going to happen. I made plenty of mistakes. I jumped off sides. I got called for holding. You know, I'm trying to teach you how to be a better lineman and how to be successful and make this team win. And my only problem is is if, if I tell – use something and then five minutes later the next guy does it because he wasn't listening then i'm going to get upset because now i have to take more time away from our limited practice time to re-explain something for a third time for me they once my kids know that and they know that i have no problem you know cracking a joke when we're playing i have no problem you know uh, giving them a nickname that's you know not degrading obviously but just that's you know funny and, and if they're not okay with it obviously i you know i don't i stop calling them that but i think uh you know you've gotta you gotta mix in some light-hearted fun i don't need to be their friend i'm not gonna hang out with them i'm not you know i'm not going to you know del taco have right. to practice with them to eat but um You know, you can still be friendly. You can still have conversations with them. And I think that's kind of as trying to be a mentor. You have to do that stuff. You know, as a teacher, you don't want to be friends with your kids, but it's okay to be friendly with them. It's okay to treat them with respect because I think in this day and age, and I learned this my first day of student teaching is, uh, you know, when I was a student teacher, a kid came up. The other teacher was gone that day. It was just me. He came up, got my face, and this guy is a guy who was in a gang. And, you know, I'm trying to get started. I'm like, hey, come on, man. Can you sit down, please? And he gets right in my face and goes, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, you know, and it was kind of a test of respect. And I said, please let me do my job. And he's like, that's what I thought. And he sat out. What I said there had more impact than anything I could have done because two weeks later when the kids are yelling and screaming at the beginning of class, he's like, hey, shut up, coach. Wants to, uh, teacher wants to talk. Yeah. You know, he's the one telling them to be quiet. You know, I give nothing but respect to these kids and until they, you know, they don't, you know, I tell them, you get hundred percent respect for me until you give me a reason not to. Mm-hmm. And then you lose it. If you lie to me about something, you lost a little bit, you know, and you lose trust. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, it's like same thing on the football field. Be honest with me. If you're not going to practice, text me. Okay. Why the, why we'll deal with later, but I need to know why you're, you're not going to be there. Cause I got plans going on. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, like, I like how you said, you know, uh, regardless of where you're at, there's just kids are different and assume nothing because um, as soon as you start making assumptions, you might, that might get you in a little bit of trouble, but building those relationships, building that trust, like that kid got up in your face first day uh, when you were a student teaching when the other teacher was gone. And uh, a couple weeks later, that, that uh, student is going to bat for you when uh, you need him to. As a teacher and a coach, many reasons why people do what they do. Oh, my mom was a teacher, so I'm a teacher, and my dad was, a, you know, or whatever it is. But why? Why do you? What's your why? Why do you coach high school football? Why do you want to teach?
1: Why? Why do you do what you do? Well, it's funny. My mom was actually a teacher, and her mom was a teacher, and <laughs> so yeah, that was the kind of growing up. She gave that up to help raise me um but I, I think for me is like I found this niche of of I wanted to be someone who could put something into other people's lives you know um and 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 teaching was that opportunity I mean I was a great salesman I was in sales and I'm like this isn't it for me you know this isn't for me working the grind on commission and being stressed out at the end of every month and worried about your job at the end of every month if they're going to retain you because you sold just barely enough. Um, especially in, in, and after, you know, 9-11 time when sales were so hard, uh, there's just a lot of stress. And I'm like, you know what? I always wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to coach football. I said, I'm going back. I'm going to get my credential. I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to go to work. And so I started that process. Uh, I think why I coach football, the why for that is I love the game, man. Like I didn't love the game in high school. I, I enjoyed the game, but I was kind of a, softy I would say I didn't like the pain and uh when I got to junior college I I learned how to you know I learned to love the game more than the pain so the pain didn't matter anymore um and I loved the the brotherhood that we had you know of of players because that's not something you have in high school you have in college you get that brotherhood of players we got each other's back and I'm not going to compare it to military because military is way different and way more uh you know it's life or death football you know we're here we got each other's back on the field you know we hang out together on campus um and so you get that bond and you kind of you can mentor each other and be there for each other you know i think um to to be able to mentor these young men encourage them both on the field in the classroom and then also in life Mm -hmm. is 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 a big responsibility but it's also something it's a privilege you know and you can't take it for granted you know i i Try to let them make their own decisions. I'm never the coach who's going to say, oh, you should go to this school. It's their life decision. I can't stand when I see on social media people are like, oh, this kid decommitted. What a jerk, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's an 18-year-old, 17- or 18-year-old kid who's making a life decision, the biggest decision of his life. And sometimes what they don't realize is a school may have pulled their scholarship and they're just saying they decommitted. So it may have been not even their fault. It may be an issue with a family member who won't be able to see their play games so they're going to find a school closer to home. You know, I've talked to college coaches who, who, you know, same kind of stories. It's like, oh, yeah, man, we, you know, when I was playing and I, I was going to go to this school, but it was going to be such a long trip for my, my grandma to get there to watch my games that I decided to go to a closer school, you know, and, and that was that. But I, I think uh, my biggest thing I like to do with these kids that I coach is I, I always try to get to graduation. I think, I think for a coach, you know, when you're a teacher, you're, you, a lot of teachers are at graduation anyways. But when I'm not a teacher, I still like to show up, dress up, go to the whole thing, cheer their name, and then go see them on the field. I think, I think it's such a surprise that some of them, when they see me walk up to them afterwards on the field, coach, oh my God, you know, big hugs. But that's the biggest moment of their life up to that point. They've worked, you know, tw- 13 years from kindergarten to 12th grade to, to accomplish this. Right, You know, I'm I'm just a small blip on their radar for a couple of years in, in high school. But celebrate with them, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. you want to celebrate after you win, win a title or you win your, your, your league? You know, celebrate because he just won a big step of life, you know? And this kid is there, and he's going on to the real world. And, and it kind of shows me I do care more than just about them on the football field. I care about their lives. I follow them on Twitter to see what they're doing. I want to know what they've become what job they do. Are they going to be coaches? All this stuff. I mean, and that's kind of the history teacher me is like the history that's going to be made. I want to know all that. I want to know their personal history as to how they succeed in life and you know, whether I was a part of that or not, doesn't matter. Right.
0: Exactly. Well, I like it. I like it. Uh, You know, coaches aren't just coaches. Teachers aren't just teachers. Uh, we're mentors. So, and that's evident why you, like you said, you know, uh, showing up to their graduation where they might not expect it. And, uh, that's a little thing that on a big day makes a big difference. And I'm sure they appreciate that too. So um, awesome. So mentorship, obviously you said your mom and your grandma too, got you in there as well, or had, you know, they at least showed you how to, they were teachers, you had that impact there. One of the last questions I have coaches, uh, you know, obviously you've been coaching for a long time, but what would you say is one of your favorite memories coaching high school football?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, you have so many memories. Small and large, I think obviously winning the CIF title in 2011 with Tustin was just a great memory. My first year of coaching, we, we lost every game and won of the final game against our rivals, and it was the first year of the California playoffs where the system where you know you had a tiebreaker mm-hmm. and uh, so we tied them at the end of the game, and you know ended up beating them. and our kids are jumping on each other like they just won CIF title. Yeah, But they won their first game. They they didn't have an O in the win column for the season. But more importantly, they knocked their rival, their rival school, out of the playoffs with that game. And yeah. to them, it was like that was the best feeling, you know. Um, but for me, probably my favorite. <clears throat> um, first year at El Toro, uh, we're playing uh, Capitol Valley. And uh, we have this kid, Alex Hernandez, who um, – cerebral palsy, I believe it was – I mean, he used to have to walk with a, a, a walker. Uh, he wanted to play football his senior year. And Coach said, you, you can't have a walker, so you're going to have to work on that. Um, I mean, this is a kid who came to practice every day. He came to weights. You know, he, he, he struggled to walk and talk uh, to control his, his arms properly. But he had more heart than anybody I, I've ever seen for the game of football. Um, and so... We're playing Capo Valley, and, and, you know, it's one of the last games of the season, and he wants to get in one play. And so we put him in a running back, and then our coach worked it out with the other coach. I mean, the guy had one carry for one yard in his career in high school football, and it had more impact on on people than in any other play that whole year. You know what I mean? I mean, you yeah. watch this kid go out there and struggle, walk those one yards, and the other team's clapping. The refs are clapping, and you see tear and I saw a tier in one of the ref sides, you know? He comes off the field and, and the players are mobbing him on his team because they know his dedication. This wasn't a charity like, yes, come to practice this week. We'll put you on the team. No, he was there from from fall camp on, you know, every yeah. day. on the, You know, and now he wasn't doing all the drills with us, but he was there and he, he come suited up, you know, and it was the heart and the desire and watching him do that. And he gave a speech before that game, you know, to the kids which was just like – as coaches were like – that's it. That's all we, we, we're not going to say anything else. I mean, he said it all. Yeah. You know, he struggled to say it, but he said it all. And, and so that was probably my favorite moment as a coach, that, that stuff that, you know, you don't really hear about. You hear about the wins and losses. Oh, you yeah, guys had a great season. Oh, you guys didn't do too well. You know what? That season and, and from every coaching, that's my, my favorite member, Alex Hernandez, running the ball for a one-yard gain. overcome things in life that we we can't even imagine
0: that's awesome because the teacher at El El Toro I I know Alex and and I I know how hard he does work and I did get to see that that play that you're talking about and you know it is special you know he does go to all the practices and uh, football is just so more important it has so many more life lessons that uh, can be taught both by you know by players and coaches but That is special. Like you said, yeah, we won CIF. Yeah. We won one game at Western Christian and knock our rival out of the playoffs. But what stands out is something that no one would even can observe by looking at record books or anything like that. So, ah, awesome. So coach, as an assistant coach, what do you think is, uh, say what is one thing that you feel you do better than most other assistant coaches for your program? So what's one thing that you, You know, you're good at, and I'm not saying you're being arrogant or cocky, but what's just one thing that you know that you do really well and probably better than most other assistant coaches?
1: I don't know, probably part of it because I'm a teacher, I'm a lifelong learner, I'm I'm constantly trying to learn new ways if I'm going to be a teacher to be a better teacher. So, with coaching, it's the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm when I was at El Toro, we had the Glacier Clinics and we had the online whole vault of of uh speakers and so i mean i was at least once a week on there listening to guys talk about o-line and drills and what they do and what works for them and how to motivate kids and how to you know uh i'm always going to clinics videos and meetings with coaches um I, if a coach ever says hey come down and visit uh you know d1 coach like uh mike schmidt at sango state came up to to paulie he's like uh hey yeah come down we'll give you a tour we'll talk we'll talk shop and i'm like okay a couple of weeks later, when we had our bye week, I was down there, and you know, I'm like, I'm learning. Actually, it wasn't a bye week; it was just it was off season, I guess, still. But yeah. you know, yeah. he showed me film. We talked about you know blocking schemes, and we talked about technique. And uh, you know, you know, just I me mean, sat in his room. And he just finished a film with his players. Uh, I'm up talk with Dave Christensen at ASU, uh, Jesse Zappolo, uh, Men in the Trenches. Just trying to learn from people who've been there, who've been to the top of the mountain, who are at the top of the mountain right now, and just absorb what i can i think being at poly was a big thing i mean if you look at the coaching staff there i remember when they interviewed me i asked the coach i said hey if you hire me he goes do you have any other questions i go yeah if you hire me uh besides me how many coaches on staff didn't play in the nfl and he thought for a second he goes well that would be you and the running back coach probably that i haven't hired yet and i'm just like okay i mean i you know, okay you know and they hired me and I mean, you look at the guys we had on staff there. It's, it's just guys I used to watch play. I mean, you got Antonio Pierce, obviously, was our head coach. Chris Claiborne, our defensive coordinator. Matt Hatchett played for the Vikings. He was the OC. Lavar Arrington. I mean, Lavar Arrington's a stud. He was a linebacker coach. Yeah. Uh, Bob Conley coached D1 football. Uh, our defensive line coach, he played uh, Division One at Washington. Eric Keene was our DV coach. You know, he played for the Bills and Titans. Uh, and then you had TJ Housmanzada. Uh, all Pro wide receiver from the Bengals. I mean, it, I mean, I had that guy on my fantasy team, and here I am coaching with him. You know, LeVar Arrington was like a god to me, in, 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 when I was playing college football, and here I am playing chess with a guy between and downtime. You know, it, it's just a great opportunity to learn. I think if you can't see, you know, I, I think for coaches to think, man, I don't want to be in this coaching situation. You're looking at it all wrong. I mean, look at it as a learning opportunity, whether it's a good situation or a situation you think isn't good. You know, take it as an opportunity of what you're learning. How are you going to do things differently at your next position or if you become a head coach? You know, for me, that's kind of what I do. It's a constantly want to learn. And I'm sure there are people who do it just as well or even better than me, but I think that's one thing I I strive at because I've seen other coaches and they go, hey, did you watch this this film on the technique? No. I'm good. I know it. You know, it's like, okay. Right. For me, it's like, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep trying to make myself better to make our team better. So, but that's just me. Um, And I don't look down on people if they don't have as much time because they, you know, they work 40 hours a week or or more or their teacher, you know, well, while I was a stay-at-home dad, that was kind of my thing. It's like, I'm, I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like you said, lifelong learner and your mindset. And, uh, uh, I'm, I'm very similar to you in that, in that sense where we can control those things. We can control learning. You can control your attitude your mindset and like, Oh, Hey, we're in a bad situation now, but what positive can you take out of it? So uh, powerful message there, coach. So the last question I have for you today is that, you know, eventually every coach does hang it up. Um, either they're forced to hang it up or it's just time to hang it up. And, um, <clears throat> but what do you want your legacy to be when you retire? What do you want to be remembered by? Like, you know, when they say coach Darren Tolliver, uh, what, what, what should be coming to, to
1: people's mind? People want to remember me is, is, is for my heart. You know what I'm saying? For who I was as a person, not who I was as a coach. That's more important to me. Um, I'm not the best coach out there. I'm not the most informed coach out there. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to be that, but, um, to be a part of their future, um, you know, through those, I like, can be part of the future through the the kids I coached. Um, what kind of impact did I have on them? You know, if it's a coach, like I can't remember the name of, you know, my, my O-line coach at Azusa, uh, I can remember the name of the coaches that had an impact on my life, you know, and, and those on the field and off the field, uh, you know, my head coach in high school helped me graduate on, you know, on time because, you know, he, he, he pushed me, pushed me to do better. And, you know, I, I remember his name, Coach Gattis, uh, a life is, you know, Jack, Jackie Robinson, I think I learned this quote when I was a kid. Um, I, I had a book on Jackie Robinson and, and there was a quote in it said, a life is not important accepting the impact it has on other lives i took that to heart because i had so many people who had impact on my lives growing up right and that you know you know teachers and coaches and and then youth leaders and, and church people that you know I, I believe that to heart it's like it really doesn't matter how successful i get or what they remember as as long as they, they become good good people good students good coaches good teachers good at whatever job they're doing i mean i think the myron miller tustin Here's the guy. He had another business outside of teaching and an athletic director and coaching. He, you know, he had his own businesses, and he would take his own money. And he, he I remember, he's telling, "Hey, coach, uh, you wear a size 15 shoe, right?" I go, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay, well, uh, can you go buy a pair of size 15 cleats? Because one of the kids we had had that size shoe. He didn't have any cleats. And he gives me, you know, here's 80 bucks. Just bring back the, you know, the change and receipt. And he, uh, I go, I know where to get them." So, I ran out and grabbed these shoes. I mean he's taking money out of his pocket. He fed the kids you know if they didn't have lunch, he'd have peanut butter and jelly in his in his office and, and loaves of bread, just come on in, make some sandwiches, get some protein in you, so you're ready to go for practice. Here's a man he you know he put his heart into his team and and you know he'd get on you if you you made you made mistakes he was he was an old school guy, but he cared and you saw that and I think if people remember that for me you know. Then, then it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be great. I mean, that's kind of my, my, my. Well, I don't think it's a legacy. It's just kind of a memory. Um, yeah. But it's kind of the, that's what I want to get out of this is making the opportunity that, to do something that my kids will be proud of. They said my dad wasn't the best coach ever, but he was. He was. He treated everyone fairly and equally, no matter what they believed, no matter what what they thought or however they were born. You know. He treated them fairly, he treated them kindly, and he showed compassion. And yet, he taught them, you know, he made them better coach players, he made them better students in life. Yeah.
0: well, definitely, um, exactly. It sounds like, you know, like you said, uh, mentorship, like you said earlier, lifelong learner, your mindset, if you've had the impact that you think you've had on them, they'll remember you. Like you said, they'll remember who you are, your name, again, watching them become good people and successful, whatever they do, just knowing that you've had an impact on them. And that's awesome so coach that does conclude the podcast for today so thank you again for taking the time and joining us on the Coach's trail and talking about your story thank you and we wish you luck moving forward in the uh, teaching and coaching job search because whoever does land you will be lucky um, they should be fired up to have you so I can't wait to see where you where you land and I'll be praying for you and your family and health and everything goes well for you guys but uh, just thank you for today
1: and taking the time Well, thank you for having me. I mean, it's it's real fun talking football, and uh, especially in a time when we're stuck at home with – I'm stuck at home with uh, five women. Um, (laughs) It's good to talk to a man about football, so I appreciate it, and uh, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you.
0: And that concludes Episode 16 with Offensive Line Coach Darren Tolliver. Until next time, I'm your host, Nate Williams. Get after it.